one, and we are live. And by the way, we're doing live on Twitter. Well, it's kind of live. Like I tape it and then I post it because you know Elon Musk is going to make that creator monetization real and it's going to take on YouTube and I'm super excited about that. All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Jonathan Kogan Show. Uh, super excited today. I have a great guest, Mark Gober. So let's just start off by saying or by asking for the nine people out there. Uh, first of all, thank you for coming on. I tweeted at you and you were like, yeah, I'll come on. So thank you very much. Thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate it. So for anyone out there who doesn't know who you are, how would you describe yourself? And then we'll get into um, the book and why you wrote it. Sure. Uh, my background is mainstream. <laughs> I went to Princeton for undergrad. I went into investment banking in New York during the financial crisis, 2008 to 2010. Then I oh, worked God. in Silicon Valley. I was a partner at a Silicon Valley strategy firm, uh, first in Boston, and then most of my years were out in the Bay Area from uh, for about a decade, became a partner at the firm. Uh, and, and during that time in Silicon Valley, I started to ask questions about the nature of reality, was listening to podcasts, and long story short, I had major paradigm shifts in terms of how I looked at the world. And it's still ongoing, but it started for me uh, in 2016. I wrote my first book in 2017 called An End to Upside Down Thinking, which was published in 2018. And it's all about the idea that consciousness does not come from the brain. And that has all kinds of crazy implications. But it has spiraled since then. And I've written four more books and published a, a podcast seri series called Where Is My Mind? The most recent book is called An End to the Upside Down Reset. It was just published, and it's about the World Economic Forum's Great Reset. And I offer a critique to what they propose. So you're a conspiracy theorist? It's a very good question. How do we define conspiracy theorist? And because there is such a taboo around that topic to have the audacity to believe that sometimes people might get together to do something and <laughs> try to plan conspire. something, uh, conspire uh, as if that hasn't happened throughout human history. But I will say this, Jonathan, one of the reasons I felt comfortable writing this book about the Great Reset is that I didn't even have to invoke conspiracy theory because there are books written by members of the World Economic Forum. Klaus Schwab wrote co-wrote uh, COVID-19, The Great Reset with his co-author Thierry Malloray. That was That'll make your heart nice and warm, right? That book? <laughs> I, I don't agree with their vision. I'll just put it that way, but they lay it out. So I don't have to invoke conspiracy theory because they explain what the vision is. And then there's a sequel, The Great Narrative and the World Economic Forum and other groups have put out what they think should be for the future. So I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. And when you say for the future, <laughs> you mean... It, 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 so this is so big. We were talking about this right before we, we we jumped on the podcast. But for the future, they're not talking about for the future for them and them and their buddies. They're talking about you and I, right? Yeah. What it's, is it? This obsession with this control and and like I could barely control my own life. Like my whole life's like been in shambles for the greater part of my adulthood. And like to let alone control populations and continents and all that's that's just crazy to me. Like, is there something deeper to this great reset? <laughs> That's, I, that's what I am racking my brain over to try to understand <laughs> the psychology behind it. What, so I think also what you're getting to is what is the intent behind the Great Reset or those who are pushing it? And my short answer is I don't know because there's so many people involved and each person has a different role. I have three general theories and it might apply differently to each person. One is that they genuinely think the ideas are good and they're going to help humanity. And I say this based on my own personal experience, knowing people that were talking about Davos even before I knew about the World Economic Forum. Like I heard of people in my network going there and stuff. And I don't think a lot of those people are evil. I think they just want to help the world. And they say, oh, wow, this is 
an organization that's involved in all the governments and they're helping uh, corporations. And Hey, Jonathan, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I think if mine goes out, just keep talking. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm sorry me, about but that. Yeah, I can yeah, hear you. Cut out. In any, in any case, I think there are people who mean well and they say, wow, this is nor- the World Economic Forum is an organization that can make a difference. I want to be involved without thinking about the nuance. So there's that group that means well. Then I do think psychopaths exist in the world. That's a psychologically known phenomenon where a person lacks empathy. They love control, love power. And it's the sort of thing that a normal person cannot relate to because most people are not psychopaths. I think that's a real thing. And I don't know who or if, but it's possibility. And the third area I speculate on is that people are being influenced or controlled by third parties. So this could be blackmail, bribery, threats, mind control. And it's maybe some combination of those three. Could it be even deeper, like interdimensional and spiritual type deal or no? Well, that's ultimately where I land on this is that it is really this is some kind of a spiritual war. So, okay, so like I I thought like it's so hard for me to grasp. I'm talking this for many months and. What's really cool is when YouTube tags a video with a Wikipedia page, you pretty much know the inverse is true. And so like <laughs> it, for the past two years or more now, it said great reset and it would tag it, right? And it would say conspiracy theory. But now I realize it's evolved and says no longer conspiracy theory. It's an economic plan. That's so they, they've, 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 they've come a long way, let's say. So I guess what I try to think of just cause it's so big and I, I see it like come, like coming to fruition in society with so many different things, which is, it almost seems like what happened the past few years, it's like a literal good versus evil type thing. But when I say mm-hmm. that, I know how bananas that sounds to an average person, even myself. And it's just, I don't know. What do you think about that? That's where I land, Jonathan, I, as, as my overarching hypothesis, because it's the only way I can make sense of all the data points. Also, so my journey started when I, when I was researching in 2016, started to hear different things on podcasts. I want to give you just a synopsis of that because it it lends credence to the possibility of something metaphysically going on. And this is essential. Okay. Um, because it changes the game. And to me, this is the, this is the whole, this is everything. Like the great reset is one manifestation of something metaphysical. At least that's how I see it. Um, I mentioned before this idea that consciousness does not come from the brain. That was the core of my first book and it's involved in all of my books. This is, um, what Science Magazine has called the number two question remaining in all of science is known as the hard problem of consciousness, which is that we all have consciousness. We have an ability to experience by definition. The big question in science, though, is how, is, how does that occur? Because experiencing, awareness, those sorts of things are not things we can touch. And yet we have them. Our body and the world, our brains, these are all physical things made out of matter. So the hard problem of consciousness and what Science Magazine is asking, what all the scientists are still trying to figure out is, how could something physical like a brain produce something non-physical like consciousness? This is the big question. And my, the short version is that I conclude that we're asking the wrong question, that the brain is not producing consciousness, that the brain is more like an antenna receiver or a filtering mechanism, that our consciousness is beyond the body and the body's a vessel for it. So in my books, I go through the scientific evidence for this, near-death experiences, the reality of psychic phenomena. So for example, Dr. Jessica Utz, who it was the 2016 president of the American Statistical Association has looked at the studies on psychic phenomena. And she wrote, using the standards applied to any other area of science, it is concluded that psychic functioning has been well-established, statistically speaking. So these are the sorts of things where consciousness is non-local, and this also relates to quantum mechanics. It all starts to move together to the idea that there is something bigger that we're a part of. That was a very short version, but if that's true, what I just said, we're part of something bigger that we can't see with our eyes, 
then good and evil is certainly a possibility in, in terms of something that we can't see with our eyes. And do you think that this can all even be a part of a simulation? This is a very good question. I think the answer depends on how one defines simulation. So my overarching metaphysics goes something like this briefly. Um, we are all part of, as Erwin Schrodinger, the Nobel Prize winning physicist said, in truth, there is only one mind. The idea that we're part of one overarching consciousness, but to use the analogy of Dr. Bernardo Kastrup, we are whirlpools within a stream of water where the water is, is likened to consciousness. So there's like one infinite stream of consciousness and we're individual whirlpools within that. So that means we're both Mark and Jonathan separately, but at some level we're actually not separate. That's the overarching idea. Now, if that were true, then we are part of the one mind, but also individuations of it. So if there is a quote unquote simulation, it is oh my sort God. of our self simulating it. If that makes any sense. Jonathan, did I lose you? If there is a simulation, sorry. If I, if I just, I, I, just I lost you. I, I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. No, that was, that was, that was my fault, but wait, wait. So, uh, you ended up, uh, in a simulation. Yeah. So if, if we, if we want to use the term simulation under this theory that a lot of people are, are talking about that we're part of uh, an interconnected consciousness, then who is the simulator at some level, the simulator is a part of us because the, the material world. So let's say we're all part of this one stream of consciousness. Then everything that we experience in the world is part of us. At some level, even though if we don't actually connect to that, because you're the Jonathan Whirlpool, I'm the Mark Whirlpool, but at another level, we're also the stream of consciousness. So there's this meta paradox that I call it, that we're both individuals, but we're not individuals. So let's say there is a simulation. That means that at some level, we have simulated this entire thing, I guess, collectively in some way, and okay. don't have access to those memories of it. So it's not in the way where... It's like there is some computer that's completely separate from us that is operating us. If that were true, that there is some other operator, that operator is at some level us too. Interesting. So the way I've heard it before is like, perhaps we were technologically advanced in the, in the past where like we created AI, which then created another world of AI and we're within that AI and that AI. And we're just a manifestation of all these like, innovations that have already happened we just don't know like we're way further down in the uh innovation than we think we are I, yeah well I yeah that, it reminds sense. me of of like the inception the movie inception yeah, where you're yeah dreams within a dream so there are these pretty amazing texts called the nag hammadi scriptures and they were found in 1945 in egypt they were buried in the ground bound books in a jar and these were written in the second third fourth century a.d apparently these were heretical texts because the church at the times didn't want them around, but, but they talk about origin stories and they have some alternative views on Christianity and just other spiritual things. But I've honed in on these origin stories because they relate to what you're talking about. And I think they kind of make sense to me. Um, they start with the idea. So there are many stories within these books, but I'm pointing to a few of them. One is called the secret gospel of John. I believe another one's called on the origin of the world. And another is called the nature of the rulers. And they have a similar theme. 
that there was just one to start, which resonates with my metaphysics of one mind. Okay, there's one. But then there were these individuations that spawned off. They call them luminaries in the, in the story. And from the luminaries, there was this one luminary, uh, I don't know if it was a luminary, one other individuation named Sophia. And Sophia had a rogue son. And this rogue son created a, they don't call it a matrix, but we could call it that here, a realm where there are humans, but the humans had a, a divine connection, if we want to call it, to the outside benevolence. But they were kept in a state of ignorance and imprisoned where they would not acknowledge that that divine spark was within them. So it's sort of like this, if you want to call it a simulation, so to speak, within something that's benevolence. And right. the term that's often used is demiurge. So there's a dark being that controls this realm, but the overall reality that we live in is not dark, but we're trying to sort of escape within that. Whoa. Oh my God. So that resonant, that wait, 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 that's, that's bananas. So the way I, oh my God. So wait, that could be what's going So I believe what's going on here is we are in this great awakening and I, I saw you on Aubrey Marcus's yeah. podcast and okay. um, I'm sure Aubrey obviously agrees with that. He's very spiritual. Uh, and, uh, but like that we're, there's this great reset that's trying to keep us contained within this matrix for lack of a better word. I don't know what to call it. Right. And like pretty much, I mean, I guess people have awoken in many different, like, I know people who said they like awakened back in like 2001, like all the whole, all these times me, it didn't happen until, you know, I couldn't go into a restaurant without my papers. And I felt like I was back in Nazi Germany, uh, mm -hmm. you know, epigenetically. And, uh, uh, so I guess like, it seems like, oh, there, there's all this decentralization and this, these people were connecting all over the world. Like we never have before. And we're like freeing humanity. And I, I, this is also crazy. I believe that's where Bitcoin comes into this, where the financial system, like Henry Kissinger said, you know, control the money, control the world, mm -hmm. where I feel like that's what's going to free humanity like to the fullest. Like we've never been fully free. We've always been containing this matrix. And this is like the last attempt to keep us all in this matrix uh, simulation, whatever, this dark force, and that we are all popping out. That's what, you know, just popping out of this matrix and like becoming freer than ever. Is that kind of what you mean? And the whole yeah. the overarching outside of this reality or matrix that we're in is actually good and free and like, uh, you know, like light, I guess, yes. for lack of a better word. Is that yeah. kind of what you mean? I'm with you. That's where I come out. I mean, I can't prove that, but it's like the, the data points seem to suggest point that into that direction. My concern is that I, I don't know if it, if how this works. Like, is it a critical mass of us that quote unquote awakens? Do some people remain asleep? Because the Great Reset is taking us toward a direction of further enslavement, less freedom in, in every way, uh, less access to information. And is there a point of no return for certain individuals? Yes. And I also worry on a, bio, uh, worry on a biological perspective, um, transhumanism, alteration of DNA. Are those the sorts of things that can keep us trapped? Yes, that's that's the point. That So they need to keep us in this matrix and this great reset until they can implement this transhumanism where you can never fight back. You can never rebel, right? Like they, they weaken us so much that that uh and you're so controlled whether it's neural i don't even know neural whatever but you're you can't fight your overlords it's a feudal mm -hmm. system it's a two-tier system i heard whitney webb talk about this a little bit like that's kind of how i see what they're trying to do this is their and they've always ruled over us i guess we just didn't know we thought we were free but it was totally like george collins said it's an illusion of freedom right yeah talk yeah. about a guy ahead of his time right i didn't even know <laughs> but <laughs> right for real uh, but um uh I see it as that we are in this crazy inflection point that very few people have ever lived through where we, the paradigm of society is totally shifting. And like, I guess let's, let's go back to this. Are you saying that 
this these books, for example, this you know the scripture and all this stuff. Are you saying that those have contributed more good to humanity than Bill Gates? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to make that comparison. Um, <laughs> Do you think? I, yeah, <laughs> he is the greatest philanthropist of all time. <laughs> well, I, I don't know Bill Gates personally. So it's hard for me to, to comment exactly on what he's done. Um, it's hard for me to say, but I will say this generally speaking. Uh, having a good intent or saying things that are, are supposedly for the benefit of humanity do not always result in positive things, whether it's Bill Gates or anyone. Uh, because you, many of these people in very powerful positions, they, they, they frame their work in the sense that they are benefiting humanity. This is for everyone's going to do well if we implement the things that we're talking about. And one of the reasons I'm writing these books, especially the new one, is that we have to have better discernment to not just accept how something sounds. We have to look at the results too and look at what might be behind the covers. And do you think it has to be diverse, equitable, and inclusive? <laughs> That's another thing that I, I criticize in this book because those sorts of terminologies are getting... Um, weaponized because it sounds really nice, diversity, equity, inclusion, but how can those, how are those actually being used? We talk about diversity a lot and it's often couched in terms of ethnicity or sexual orientation or th those sorts of more superficial things. But are we talking about ideological diversity? I don't see much of that. If you have a certain ideology, you, you're excluded. That's not inclusive. So it's like they're position these terms are positioned in one way and we have to use our critical thinking to ask the right questions and say, is it actually as it's being positioned? And, 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 and probably the, the number one thing you could do to paralyze that critical thinking is the use of fear. Is that true? I think that's a big part of it. Fear. Uh, yeah. The fear of, of what happens to you if you speak out. I mean, I've had to think about that myself um, coming from like, this I, mainstream background. I mean, all of us, right. I'm sure you've had to think about it too, Jonathan. Is it, is it okay to talk about these things that are considered conspiratorial or if you say it, then they just call you right wing or something that might not even be true. Um, Which is crazy because <laughs> this is an apolitical podcast. We don't believe in politics on this podcast. We don't think <laughs> politics is real. It's all theater and charades. So we don't, we don't, we don't do Republican, Democrat, independent. We just, we don't believe in politics on this podcast. We just care about the truth. And yet we get labeled as a, a certain political party, which is hilarious because we can't be political. Because we're apolitical, it's impossible. Yeah. So what is, is that? Is that and and I feel like before we get to the end of this, is that the whole world is going to be right wing before you know, like when Joe Rogan, who voted for Bernie Sanders, becomes right wing and all this stuff, it becomes very weird. It seems like that is a kind of a universal slam. So, anyways, I want to get into ESG a little bit. Mm -hmm. ESG weaponizing these these words and things like that is ESG being used by BlackRock or other powerful institutions that have eight and a half, ten trillion dollars uh, under management to implement the Great Reset. Like, how does one implement such a massive plan on such a macroeconomic geopolitical scale? Where do you start? Do you own the central banks? Do you? Is it political? Is it both? Is this all one massive conspiracy like institution? Like, uh, hmm. well, how would you how would you s s explain step one to everybody? Well, I don't know where this started, th this Great Reset and all the things that are associated with it, which might not have the term Great Reset labeled with them, but they have the same ideology. This, I think this is a long-term play. I mean, the Great Reset came out in 2020, but as they said, 
this was an opportunity, COVID was an opportunity to take advantage of the shift in the world. And we're not going to go back to the way it was before COVID. That's the kind of terminology they use, meaning that this, this stuff has been in play for a long time. And in my book, very briefly, I divide it into six areas that I see with the Great Reset, even though they don't write it this way. As I kind of analyze it myself, there are different categories. And to your point, it's pretty amazing to implement something this broad because it spans culture, politics, um, economics, environment, technology, and metaphysics. So you really have to cover a lot of areas. It's like a, some kind of a social engineering play if you were to try to implement this stuff. But if it's an ideology, and what I, I the term I use in my book, it's not even a political term because it's bigger. I, I use this term leftism um, because it's cultural, it's it's sociopolitical, it's even to me metaphysical. Where, um, so to use Dennis Prager's analogy, he's a conservative who cr critiques the left. He says left is not liberal. There's a big difference here, and people conflate those terms. Left is not believing in free speech because your speech is quote unquote hateful. A liberal would say, yeah, you, you should be free to speak. The ACLU uh, standing by Nazi, like yeah, of course they would protect right. free speech to the end. But it's all these like very extreme positions where we need to have control. We want no capitalism. Um, often. Leftism is, a, at least as I've seen it, is there's nothing spiritual. Let's go into this kind of Yuval you know, Noah Harari, um, the idea of a, of a solar spirit that's over, to paraphrase what he said. That sort of a thing. So in my book, I call leftism a metaphysical sociopolitical philosophy uh, because it's this broad view of the world beyond politics, beyond just politics, even though it includes it, that has been around for a while. And how has that been pushed? Well, we're seeing a lot of it in the media. We see a lot of it in on college campuses. In chapter two of my book, I talk about the dominance of this ideology in the media and all these places. And you can look statistically at, at professors who they're donating to. I mean, there's no ideological diversity. It is far, far left in terms of this stuff. So you could, in theory, if you were a mastermind, and again, I don't know the mechanics of how this works, but if you had the ideology in the right places, then the next generations will just think it's normal. And then it's not even an ideology anymore. That's what I, I quote someone in my book who says, look, uh, leftists don't even believe it's ideological at all, whereas something right wing is an ideology. And it's it's a blindness to one's own belief system that can be imbued in society. That is that, that's such a successful implement. Like when I, I'm 33 and when I grew up, this maybe this existed. I just we were unaware of we were like my friends and I with like my family. We were not in, we were not involved in politics. We didn't care about politics. It seems like it goes right, left. It's all the same thing. It doesn't really matter. Sure, there's like little nuanced differences, but like affecting my life, like it very, you know, it was all the same. It would affect it in the same way. Is was that a blind spot? Like where did this leftism begin? Was there a starting point? Did someone, is there a creator of this? Like, has this been going on since the eighties and it's just built up to this or is this a recent phenomenon? So some of the psychologists I examined for my book, they said they noticed a shift on college campuses in 2013 because I Whoa. graduated in 2008. I didn't notice any of this extreme woke cultural stuff then. Like at all, right? At all. But we've become more liberal as a society, generally speaking. And I'm sure a historian could look back and say that there has been a movement in this direction. Um, I've also looked a bit at some of the survivors of communist China, and they say there are parallels to what's happening here. It's called the Cultural Revolution, and 65 million people approximately were murdered. And what they said is many of the survivors, like Ai Weiwei, and there's others that have spoken out about this, that when you see the kind of uh, movement or alignment in political correctness, that is a very concerning sign. So 
maybe it's just part of human nature or maybe on this metaphysical level like you were getting to maybe this is how dark forces get into society i don't know the mechanism but maybe they're i feel like we all have a choice of what we tap into of good and evil and we have to use exercise our discernment and it's always there but maybe there are forces for good and evil that are trying to influence us and part of the dark forces might be to say oh well being politically correct is so you're being so compassionate and it's like a tactic that is used of dark forces and it's been used throughout history. And now we're getting to this point where we have social media and technology where the messages can be disseminated in a certain way where it's even more extreme. And it might just be at a, a, le a level of intensity that we haven't seen throughout history. What, what blows my mind is in an age where information can tra travel faster than ever, things are, you know, people have more of an opportunity to connect more than ever. I am so impressed. I don't even know what the word to say, impressed by the control of information and the way to propagandize people and keep them in order, sway them one way or sway them this way. When things have never been easier to disrupt that, it's been incredibly handled by the powers that be, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Like, impassionately handled. I mean, I, I'm just, a, that's what's also been so convincing for me that there, there's something big going on here to suppress information because. We've seen it, especially since COVID started in early 2020, the amount of suppression, the amount of control of, of narratives all over the place, whether it's medical, political, certain information is not allowed. And even if it comes out on certain platforms, the media will completely ignore it. It's amazing to see that that can happen. That's wild. It's like two realities. It, it's wild. It's two realities. And that's what our society is splitting. It's, I find on a personal level, it's harder and harder to relate to people that have not looked at this other side what I would consider to be more of the truth because we now have a lot of data. The Twitter files have been very helpful in, in validating what many of us know. But now I'm looking back at history. How do we know anything? <laughs> because the narratives, we're seeing how much COVID narrative was controlled in elections and those sorts of things. What has been controlled in the past? That's what Bology talks about. He goes, if the news is fake, imagine what history is. And history is written by the winners. And that that is very interesting. And that's kind of where Kanye, what yay comes in where he says everything's inverted with that history, but then he went too far. Like, like maybe he was on to something. I'm Jewish. He might have been on something at the beginning, but like when you go, I love Hitler, that's just a bad, it's just probably not smart. It's just a bad, <laughs> bad way to do it. Um, yeah. So I, I kind of want to go back to the beginning because I don't know. You said 2016, and it seems like a lot of people in 2016, maybe that was like, you know, that's when Trump got elected, and that's when, that's when people went insane and I, I wasn't even so while trump was president i didn't pay one second attention to the news to anything right so i didn't even know what was going on it didn't affect my life it was whatever and then when i came into it in 2020 ish right i realized that people have this like trump derangement syndrome and there's like this obsession of going opposite opposite right or going with mm -hmm. both ways it goes both ways right it's very yeah. political you gotta be against them this one man this one man it's crazy right mm -hmm. but you talked about 2016 is when you started kind of seeing signs of this the great reset didn't come out yet but how did you for how did you first come across this the text of, of the great reset or the world economic forum or like it was it from a, a person was it from a book like like how did you even come across it back then okay so in 2016 i was listening to, podcasts were just starting to get big so a friend sent me a Tim Ferriss podcast and I was listening to a venture capitalist and I was like, oh, this is so cool. You can learn from really smart people. I was listening to more and more podcasts and I was a very nihilistic person at that point. I thought life was random and meaningless and that's what science was teaching us. And when you die, that's the end. There's nothing beyond that. And I thought that I was just set in that, in that mindset. And I was kind of going through some tough times in my life personally and professionally. So I felt like I was on this treadmill feeling really lost. And I started listening to more podcasts, not looking to like, develop a new worldview just because I was looking for new interests and it was something to do. 
And I started listening to alternative health shows as well, because Tim Ferriss was talking about like sensory deprivation that you could do if you didn't want to do psychedelics, you could get in these sensory deprivation pods, float in water. So I was doing going in these flotation pods, thinking about meditation. They're amazing. Yeah. Yeah, they are. It's meditation on steroids. Um, so I was, yes, well, for me, it maybe it, who knows what it did. Cause I started going to these pods and I was listening to alternative health shows. And I listened to this one show called extreme health radio. And I heard a woman on that show named Laura powers. Who's now a friend. Um, she, she's a psychic and she was talking about psychic abilities and tapping into energy and working with clients. And I was like, what is going on here? I've never heard anyone talk about this. I've watched science fiction movies, but this woman sounds very serious. So either she's somehow delusional or she's lying or like, I don't know what's happening. Um, but it didn't change my life at that point. At the end of the episode, she says, well, I have my own podcast called Healing Powers where I talk to other people that have had these experiences. So I was like, okay, I'll listen to this. And I had a long drive every day to work from San Francisco down to Silicon Valley. So I listened to a bunch of her episodes and it was person after person talking about wild and crazy stuff. They were completely independent and they had a very similar worldview. So I said, okay, I've got to look at the science behind this because is there anything that could validate how these people could come to these conclusions? So my, my initial entree into all this stuff was metaphysical. What is the nature of reality? Is there life after death? Is reincarnation real? That sort of thing. And I was shocked to find there's evidence for all this stuff and it's being suppressed. And that was where my head was until end of 2019. I decided to leave my firm because I was still working during this period. My podcast called Where's My Mind had just come out. It was still on these topics. I interviewed a lot of these people. And then um, I said, okay, I need to focus on just understanding the nature of reality even better. 2020 hit and I saw censorship and I'm like, okay, I saw this with consciousness research. I saw it in my job too, working in Silicon Valley, something's going on here. And that's what led me to look at great reset. And you know, a lot of the alternative media was, was talking about similar stuff. The high wire, Del big tree, every, everyone in that realm was talking about similar things. And I realized there's a complete, this is another paradigm shift for me. I don't know anything about this stuff. And like you, I was apolitical. I, mean, I just didn't even care about politics. I didn't watch the news. I mean, I knew people were upset about Trump and stuff, but like, I didn't really know what was going on. I was focused on work and then consciousness, nature of reality. And then I switched to this political stuff because I realized it was central and it was lacking from my first two books in my podcast series. I, I was covering a very important aspect, but I didn't understand at that point the deception in this world, in the material world. We live in a world where deception is somehow essential or fundamental to our existence. And I've got to get to the bottom of this. So that's where the latest, the last three books have really dealt with that. So I, I've actually heard, there's like three things I want to ask from that. There's like, there's something I heard though, like with, again, I, I'm new to this whole spiritual thing, but like the, mm -hmm. the, the, the Satanism type, like, like, like the real, the good versus evil thing, the evil can't happen without your consent. Otherwise it's not considered like evil. They need to like decept, like it needs to be deceptive. And then you, you, you need to consent. Like they need to like tell you, like how, they need to consent you like to trick you, whether mm -hmm. it's like putting something in your body or something like that. But you, otherwise it doesn't count. Like if you were just a total victim, I guess, sort of thing. I don't know. That doesn't make sense. But no, I, I've heard that too. It's, I, it's hard to validate it. Um, right. But it seems to align with the way the world is working, where they give you hints before it happens. Right. And you end up consenting yourself. So it's you're voluntarily making a choice and you might lack the discernment. So you end up doing something against your own. Brain. Right. Yeah. Like like, you know, like putting children in bondage suits and having pedophilia right in your face like Balenciaga. You know, it's great. It's beautiful. Um, we don't do that. We're not into pedophilia on this podcast. We don't do that. Yeah. Um, but it's crazy. They just put it right in your face and like, people aren't like absolutely incredibly outraged. And it's just like, why some people were, but like, it's, it's, ins the, the thing is insane. Like, I feel like we're just in a no holds barred type world right now, but you said, um, the metaphysical, um, what I wanted to ask was, 
Well, first of all, in your book, how do you how do you relate the the metaphysical to you just talk about with the Great Reset that that is that's the ultimate thing that's happening that's that's occurring? Is it is it the good versus evil thing, or is there something more to that actually? Yeah. Well, I also if reading COVID-19, The Great Reset, and looking at a lot of what those sorts of people are saying, they're not talking about a spiritual revolution. So for me, it's one of those omissions where it's like, I'm reading the great COVID-19, The Great Reset. Where is the spiritual revolution? If we're going to have a new direction for society, you got to have that. So that's, to me, The Great Reset's pushing us away from spirituality. And then I think it's also making us less able to detect what's happening with children, the sexualization of children, um, all, all the hor- horrific stuff that's going on there. And if you tie that to some of the other horrific things that we see done to children, like the invocation of demonic forces by ritual torture, and these are things that are very hard to capture. I talk about it in my book, An End to Upside Down Contact, when I look at contact with non-human intelligences. Um, it's hard to believe these things are real, but it's a level of evil that's difficult to imagine. The reason I mention it is because when those things happen, they're there are sophisticated ways of invoking dark forces, like literally dark beings can be invoked through horrific things. So if you apply that to what's happening in the world, the Great Reset does seem to be moving us in a darker direction. And it aligns with my overall worldview that there is a dark force. I think there's a light force too, but we're seeing the clash. Oh, we're, I could like feel it, you know what I mean? Like, which I want to get into this, the energy in a second, but you talked about, you noticed censorship and you noticed it before 2020, whether it comes to what you were studying or, you know, what you were looking into, there's censorship at in certain micro levels, then it became like just everyday speech sort of thing. Do you believe that there is information that is known by whoever the most powerful people are in the world, whether it's like communicating with energy, is there something that we don't know that would sound so crazy and metaphysical, not real that maybe they know like how to control a population, how to communicate on an ener- energetic level, like something that would sound bonkers to us, but is real and it's censored from the general public. I'm open to that increasingly. So when I wrote my first book, um, I looked at the U S government's remote viewing program, which is essentially psychic spying and documents have been declassified and they say explicitly, these are direct quotes. Remote viewing is a real phenomenon. Implications are revolutionary. And there's a lot more to it. I interviewed Russell Targ, who was one of the leaders of that program in the 1970s. That's real. So that means human beings have innate psychic powers that we're not taught to exist. So just leave it there. I mean, that's a huge thing that there's a part of us that we didn't know we had, and that's being censored from us. My understanding is that the only reason some of those documents were declassified is that Russell Targ's son, I believe, I hope I'm getting this right, he's an attorney and was able to just go through the process to get stuff declassified. But it's like, if that hadn't been declassified relatively recently, would we know all those details? No. Also, uh, along a similar line, MKUltra, mind control programs where people are tortured using sophisticated methods. So it takes knowledge to do this sort of thing. It splits people's personality. They can become controlled. They can have a personality that you don't even know exists. It's called dissociative identity disorder. And that can be created through torture methods. So where does that knowledge come from? Uh, And if you apply this even further and further, I'm, I'm very open to the idea that there are pockets of secret knowledge. I don't know how else to make sense of this stuff, especially looking at some of these horrific rituals that are done to children and not just children, other people. Um, from survivors and also psychiatrists and therapists who have dealt with people that have survived these things. There's sophistication in these methods of essentially magic. These are rituals to invoke things. I also know about this on the benevolent side, people who do engage in in channeling. There's a book called The Science of Channeling written by Helene Wabe, where people will do things with their mind to bring in spirits, usually with a positive intent. 
So the point is, there's example? laws of this universe that we just don't know about the nor- the normal people, right? Like uh, what it, I think it's referred to as, as natural law. Is that right? Like like what yeah. you know about natural law? Yeah. So that there are yes, I know about the the concept. I don't think I know what all the natural laws are. <laughs> I'm right, trying right. to figure no, that out. But there's a certain way like the world works, and like like but we're not in tune with it because we're taught to not learn that stuff like even just cycles like i'm thinking like with the weather and how climate change is a huge thing and what you know i'm not uh, we're, we're pro earth on this podcast we love the earth yeah. um and but like do people know these cycles like the saculum and all this stuff that maybe there's certain what like there's text or something that earlier you know human civilization had of like oh everything's going to change by 2030 and then they're just weaponizing it i feel like that's kind of going on here yeah it seems like they, they take things that have a hint of truth and then end up weaponizing it. I mean, COVID is a good example where did people get sick? Did people die? Yes. Was there tragedy in that? Yes. Um, but there's this mentality where it's almost as if as soon as a problem emerges, because there's a problem, that gives the authorities the right to do whatever they want. And it can be as draconian as they want because there's this perception of a problem. And that's you can apply that to everything. But but we, the people of, all, of the world, have the power but we believe they have the power. So I kind of want to focus on like this great race that is happening, whether you want to believe it or not, just read the text, look into, read your book, just look into all this stuff. I can't wait for the audio book to come up, by the way, uh, which is February. Uh, yep. Is that right? Yeah. Like February, February 7th. 7th. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a big audio book guy. I, I'm on like 2.5 X. It's unreal. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. But yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. Right. Um, but um, they're like, when you talk about the Soviet Union, you know, before they fell, Basically, everything was centralized, right? And and everything was controlled, and the people would make these parallel economies, right? These uh, to, to to sidestep the centralization. And I feel like that's the only way we can kind of get around this great reset because it's going to push us that way, one way or another. But we need to start building either our, our own institutions that are more decentralized, more you know, local community, or do you see us just fixing the institutions that are already are, like the CDC and FDA and all this stuff? I, I just don't see that happening. How do we? defeat or make the best of the great reset i don't know the right terminology and how what, what terminology would, would you use to describe yeah. beating it i use the term transcend in my book okay it's something to because there are aspects of it i mean they talk in the covid19 the great reset about improved health i mean there are parts of it where I, if i just read it in isolation i'd say yes that's true. Do we want a more compassionate society? Absolutely. That's like, who would say no to that? Right. So let's take the good parts of it. Include, let's transcend the, the parts that are dangerous and include the good parts. That's how I see it. So in my book, I don't, I don't get into the tactics, but I want to talk about it here. Um, I talk on a more like paradigm shift level of we need to get to a point of, this is Ken Wilber, the philosopher, talks about waking up, cleaning up, and growing up. So waking up is acknowledging the spiritual aspects, moving on the path to enlightenment. So that's its own area. There's cleaning up, which is working on our own trauma and darkness within us and trying to transmute that. Growing up is acknowledging reality for what it is, maturation, um, discernment, you know, that sort of thing. But then Wilbur also talks about showing up. And I, I talk about that in the book because I think that's essential, which is saying no to things that are not good, <laughs> to, to fight, fighting back against things that are clearly evil and not just being passive. So it's waking up, cleaning up, growing up and showing up. And I think what you're getting to is how exactly do we show up in light of what's happening here? I, I do think there are many solutions to this. Um, I, I, in my own mind, I break it out, down into two segments. One is the dissolution of the old way of doing things, which might be to abolish certain institutions, if we can do that, and then the building of the new. So the abolishing of the old, I think I agree with you, is going to be very difficult. 
you would need people with massive amounts of integrity to get into government and just start slashing the size of government and getting rid of all the bad stuff. I don't know if that's possible, but that's a possibility, I guess, like that someone could try. The building of the new, to me, is where the real action is at because I feel like this is going to have to be grassroots in some way. I don't know exactly how. I mean, there is there are clearly issues with central banks and central bank digital currencies, which people are talking about, where your currency would be digital. So that would give governments an ability to shut off your your ability to pay for things potentially, or they could control, they could program what you can and can't pay for. So these alternative types of currencies, whether it's cryptocurrency like Bitcoin or other ways of, of having uh, a system that's outside the main system, something that's independent seems like it will be important in some capacity. Where would you start? For me, it's, it's about the knowledge, like, so what, knowing that the, getting people to wake up in general, the ones yeah. that aren't like that, that's what you mean? Like yeah. doing stuff like this and one person comes across it, like our communities intersect and it's just like, oh, wow. Oh my God. Now I trust him and now I trust him. And it's like, oh, wow. Maybe I should look into this myself. And then they do what people used to do back in the day, which is really fringe, which is doing your own research. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Independent <laughs> critical thinking and not, not automatically trusting just to have discernment. I say this because my own journey has been so transformative. It sounds like you've had a similar journey, but in a slightly different way that once your eyes are open to this stuff, then there's a spiraling more mm -hmm. and more truth comes in. And I, I want to help enable that for other people because I know what it's done for me. And it seems like when people get on this path, then you start to do stuff, you start to show up. And it's like, you don't know how big the impact can be when enough people show up and it doesn't need to necessarily be a hundred percent. I think there's a critical mass. Totally agree. And I think that's happening right now. I actually feel like that's happening literally right now. Like as we're doing it, I've noticed in just the past, I mean, I've said this a few months ago too, but now I feel like it's built. Now you're seeing in more mainstream, like just you're seeing a lot of people have the willingness to show up like more so than I've ever seen. It's only increasing and you don't need to have the majority. You look at like the American revolution. What was that? Like 4% of the population or something ended up mm. getting the United States of America. So it doesn't, it absolutely doesn't mean need to be everybody. And then going back to what you said at the beginning, which was like, do you need to, the critical mass, do you need to wake up everybody? I'm thinking that there probably will be a subset that never wakes up because they're building like the, the line, like in Saudi Arabia, the city that's like, like seven feet wide and like eight feet tall to get people into these like areas that are like, like, I feel like those are the people that just won't, that aren't going to wake up. There's going to be some sort of slave system that's always going to exist. And yeah. then people are also going to live outside of that. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? That's what it feels like to me, this idea of parallel societies. And I wonder what that means on a spiritual level. Like, so going back to some of these horrific rituals, the people who've survived, what they talk about is that there's an energy extraction that happens. The reason for the torture, not in addition to splitting the mind, dissociating, which can allow attachments to come in, spiritual attachments. It can also allow for the control of the person. But there's like love or positive energy that's extracted from innocence, especially with children. Oh, wow. So, and, and fear and that sort of energy is feeding dark forces. That's what I pick up from having studied that stuff. So if you apply that to the mass scale, what, what, what does it seem like the world's moving toward? Is more fear, less love, like to move us into that state, it might actually be feeding dark forces. So when I look at some of these control systems, like you're talking about that's happening in Saudi Arabia, but could go happen elsewhere, it could be an energy source on a metaphysical level for this darkness. And maybe, it, maybe this relates to the Nag Hammadi scriptures that I was mentioning. Maybe like... I don't know if that's literally true, but it would it would fit. Maybe some of these, um, they're known as archons, these dark beings that were controlling the human realm. They keep humans in ignorance and then feed off of their energy. Can we starve them? Like you talk about feeding them. Can we starve them? 
I think that could happen. This is my theory by waking up and tapping into the positivity. I tap like love seems to be the opposite. And I say this because if you look at all the spiritually transformative experiences, even though they might have different qualities in certain ways, they talk about unconditional love that is indescribable using language, whether it's a near death experience, like a person's in cardiac arrest and then comes back and they had this realer yeah. than real experience when their brain was dead. Okay. Or in a Kundalini awakening, when a person has this energy flow through their body or a psychedelic experience, they enter these other dimensions and they come back and say, it's beyond words. It's, this is about love and energy. It's all similar too. They all say that like the, the, I'll say it's across the board. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So to oh. me, I think that is the, the, the inverse of it. Now, where I, I'm a little hesitant, if you talked to me three years ago, I would have just stopped there. My problem is I know a lot of people who get that part of it. And they're, in my opinion, are falling for the narrative and are defending the narrative. So this is where I'm kind of mind blown. How can that be? Someone who understands so much of this, but misses this. And this is the compassion with discernment that I've been talking about so much recently. It's, it's like two paradigm shifts that you need to have to acknowledge that there's dark too. And you can't just have blind compassion because then you might end up getting sucked into something you shouldn't be. So there's more to it than just that. Um, seeing the light realm is what you're saying. There, there's, there's two, because, because once you see, I almost feel like we've been living in, once you see it, once you see the truth or what appears to be the objective truth, it's almost like everything that we've lived in inverted reality. Like, like back in the eighties, the CIA guy said, um, you know, we'll know our disinformation campaign is, is complete when everything the American people believe is a lie. And I feel mm -hmm. like they achieved that successfully. And I was totally duped. And now everything's the exact opposite. Like in order to get anything a hundred percent, right. Is very difficult to get anything 100% wrong is equally as difficult. And the pandemic was 100% wrong, which is, <laughs> that is strategy. Like you can't just by chance do that. That is just as hard as hundred percent. Right. So there are, it surely feels like there's something bigger at play here that is intentionally wavering people in the wrong direction. And it surely feels like a metaphysical dark forces thing, but I'm all, I want to know how can we, I'm, uh, humanity's definitely seeing the light more so than ever. I am so bullish on the human race. I am very, very, very bullish on humans. I really, we've been here forever. We're, we're doing the best we ever have been. Like there's more of us now than ever. I'm just so bullish. Do you have the same optimism? Hmm. My optimism or lack of optimism depends on the person. And I, I've been asked a, a different variation of this question of like, do you think the great reset's going to succeed? And my answer is that it's not my top, my top interest whether it succeeds on a mass scale, because I don't, I feel like it's out of my personal control. What I'm focused on is doing the best that I can and using whatever skills I have and resources to make a positive contribution. And like, that's where my focus, the outcome is I can't be attached to the outcome because it's the forces are beyond my control. So for sure, I'm optimistic that we all have that choice to make where, where we're going to direct our own intent. And I think, there are people that are that are being very courageous these days, um, and that makes me optimistic. But beyond that, I, I, I am somewhat pessimistic because I'm seeing people in front of my own eyes who are really intellectually intelligent, and they still don't see it. And I would have thought when 2020, when all the censorship was happening, I was like, okay, surely this is all going to come out and we're going to be on the same page. And it's all coming out, and it's even more divided. So <laughs> wild. I'm blown away by that. I don't know where to go with it. Maybe there are some people that are just not going to, uh, we're going to be in these parallel realities. So my optimism is with, with this segment of the population that seems to be open-minded and is, 
is being very courageous. That's where my optimism is. But I do have pessimism because I can't believe the level of brainwashing elsewhere. And 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 something you said, like I've realized the most kind of one of the most interesting things I've seen with this is that it has nothing to do with intellect. Nothing. Yeah. It has nothing to do with intellect. It could be any, it has nothing to do with a particular race, a particular gender. It is totally random. So it must be a spiritual type connection. That's what's making me believe that because it's the, some of the smartest people I know in the world are on the op opposite side of, of, of history here. Right. And yeah. it's just crazy to me. So it makes me think of the only thing I could think of is something I can't see and it's being in tune with some sort of spirit. I don't, uh, some sort of, different thing that is intangible, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Or something that is, is obscuring or obstructing their connection to whatever the truth is. The analogy I often use is that, that this one mind of consciousness that we're a part of, that's fundamentally benevolent, it's always shining its rays down and we have a pure connection, but we end up getting clouds that, that get in the way of it. And our task on our pathway to being our most authentic self is to get rid of those clouds. So then we can be our fullest version of ourselves. So it might be that there are certain clouds that are getting in the way for probably all of us to some degree, but for some people for sure. um, more than others. But by, by, I guess by, by just being connected and, and interconnected with each other and having this one mind kind of like a uh, cloud minds, what they're trying to do with AI and connect us all and then actually control us. But that's for another day. Yeah. Um, but in spirit, spiritual sense, you know, doesn't that mean that, the people who aren't awakened have to eventually be awakened if the mass majority of people that they're interconnected with are awakened, like, or can there just people like, how can you be in an alternative reality if everybody's interconnected and people are living a totally different life than you are? To me, this is one of the just big paradoxes of existence. That's probably beyond what our brains can compute. So consider the, the topic of infinity. We know it's it's real in mathematics, but we don't understand it. Like we can't comprehend math infinity. So I think there are certain topics that are beyond human comprehension and these paradoxes of, well, how could we be at one level of reality? And people say this in the near-death experience and other spiritually transformative states. We're all one. We're all interconnected. I mean, they say the same thing over and over again. They, they experience that. So that seems to be true at one level, but at this level, we're separate. And we're, we're only interconnected on a metaphysical level. So it's like you have, these things can coexist somehow. And I don't fully know how to reconcile it other than it's just a paradox that we have to deal with, that we have to take the data in front of us, which is that we are fundamentally separate. Like I'm Mark and I have my mind, you're Jonathan, you have your mind. There's certain things that I have access to, you don't have access to, we're in different locations. That's just our reality that we have to accept. And then I look at all the data from the consciousness science and they're interconnected. So it's, I don't know what to say beyond that. It's like beyond comprehension. So, so I saw when I, <laughs> when I was looking at your book on Amazon, I was reading a couple of the reviews and this is the one thing that I struggle with. And I'm curious how, what you would say to this, which is one of the reviews was, you know, I like Marx, all his previous books, but this one, he went full conspiracy, right wing QAnon like type thing. And that's the number one thing you get when you start talking about this stuff. And then it makes it seem like, oh, right wing that, that, that labels, they work. How do you, for someone who says that, who, who knows you, they trust you, they love your work, but then they go, wow, he went full conspiracy and out of touch of reality, all this stuff. How do you say to them, I'm not political. This isn't, this has nothing to do with conspiracies. Just here's the data, go look at it. But like, no, we just don't believe you and dismiss you right away. How do you address that issue? It's almost impossible. I think someone who would say that is probably someone who has not 
had as much exposure to the material that I talk about in the book. So for some people who will read it, they'll say, I'm glad you summarized this information. I've been following the same thing for the last three years. Thank you for compiling it. But if you haven't been following this stuff, it's out there, it, right? Like, cause if you yeah. only read the New York <laughs> times and CNN, you're going to say, wow, where's Mark coming from? But I don't know how to respond to that sort of a critique because everything in my book is cited. There's hundreds of citations. I, I mean, <laughs> what, it, how, how is it, how is it conspiracy QAnon when I'm just talking about what people are saying? They're pushing society in a certain direction that they've written about and talked about elsewhere. And I'm correlating that with everything that's happening in the news. So I don't know, man, like that, it, it's frustrating you just to move me. on to another person or do you try like I, my, I, I historically I would have been like, no, listen, look at this, look at this. But I realized it doesn't go anywhere. It's just a there's a disconnect. It's just different. It's like when you have a certain energy, like emotions are transmit on different uh, frequencies, right? Like how you feel like anger, like happy, uh, uh, unconditional love is like the highest positive frequency. It's like this crazy thing. I went to this doctor a long time ago in, in New York who like cured me from Lyme disease and he was very, wow. very into this frequencies. And I had this chart and it was amazing. If you're on a negative, like if you're mad, you're on this like frequency, that's a totally different frequency than someone who the highest I believe was unconditional love. And so you just might not be able to, to communicate with one another in the same way. And I feel like that's kind of what's going on here with this because yeah. you can cite everything and they just, it's just, it's just a name calling. It's not like, Oh, you know, I saw this here and that disagrees with this. Uh, and I just, should you even try and talk to that person or just try and wake up everybody else that you're willing to, that's willing to listen? Yeah. I've, I've kind of given up on people that are not willing to engage. I don't, I write the book, so it's there for them if they want to try it. Um, but I haven't had success. It's like, you, right. there's, you, it's, I, I like your analogy with the frequencies that you can't relate in a certain way. And I don't understand it. It's very frustrating to me because right. I think as a content provider and author, whatever you want to be understood. And I'm like, these people are just, they're not even understanding where I'm coming from. And it's not just this book. It's happened with all of my books because I'm challenging paradigms. Oh, so you're used and to this. I'm used to it, but it, it, this is really <laughs> frustrating to me because I feel like in some ways the great reset stuff is the most tangible. It's the easiest I mean, stuff to it. prove. You got to respect them. They, 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 they literally say it. They put the videos on YouTube. They put it on their website. I mean, yes, they do delete them later on, but you can go to archive and go pull it up. <laughs> yeah. But it's all there. Like, it's literally all there. Like, okay, um, it's the years 2030. I, will, I own nothing. I have no privacy, and I've never been happier. Well, that was like a 2016 article or something like that. That's real. It's but real. then someone I mean, said, it's just there, right? Yeah, I guess what... Maybe I'm just speculating on why someone would have trouble with this. When you put it all together, these various areas that I talk about with Great Reset, culture, politics, economics, environment, technology, metaphysics, it suggests that there's a concerted effort to move us in that direction. And that idea is maybe too much for people. It's too grand. And Mark, you're I, crazy. Sorry, I liked you before, but you're nuts now. I, I, and I cannot, I, I'm actually empathetic towards that because it really is massive. And like, I'm wondering, is the technological part, the transhumanism? And do you believe that that has a negative outcome into, are we like fighting something we shouldn't? Is that going to ruin spirit, our spiritual connection to the, the cosmos forever? Is that like something that you look at as a pure negative or there might be a positive that comes out of that? With anything, there's usually a benefit that can happen. I think technology's helped society in lots of ways, but even, um, in, in COVID-19, the Great Reset, they talk about the risk of dystopia with regard to technology. They acknowledge that this stuff can go very wrong. And it's, it's transhumanism, it's metaverse, it's surveillance technology, like what you see in China, where they know everything about where you are. Um, it's an Orwellian version of the world, 
where technology is used to control people effectively. And I don't, I mean, I don't think that's a crazy thing to talk about. People have been concerned about th those things for a long time. So like, I don't even think it's, it's crazy conspiracy theory to talk about that when we see what's happening with surveillance in our world. Well, it's not like the NSA spies on us in America or anything. So we're good there, but um, <laughs> like it's already happening. It's, Whatever's it's happening, happening. China's it's happening here too, like the Patriot Act, all that stuff. But so the last thing I want to talk to you about is uh, people who are apolitical, people who don't want to, they just want to live their life, right? They just don't want to be involved in this craziness. Would you say, would you say that to that person, they're usually apolitical, they're not involved in politics or they just want to live their life and be alone. Is it, do they, is this so big, this great reset that they have to get involved politically, spiritually, uh, economically, or like, would you say it's a mistake if they didn't get involved in some way and it would hurt our chances of uh, transcending the Great Reset? My opinion is we don't have a choice anymore. I don't think I think you have to be involved. And we saw we saw this with the vaccines. You couldn't be neutral. You're either going to get that stuff in your body or not. And you're going to pay the, the, the price if you didn't. So I think that's just one of the did too. But go ahead. Yeah, well, yes, but it's you are going to be excluded from society, certain aspects of society, you know, you know what I mean? So and now we're seeing lots of, you know, negative health side effects coming out with it. So there's there's harm there, too. But we people were, were bifurcated automatically. And it feels like that in other areas, too, with some of the social movements. It's not even OK to just be accepting of something unless you're exuberantly endorsing a certain thing culturally, you could be considered a bigot, for example, <laughs> right? That's the movement. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, I accept you for whatever you are, whatever whatever it is. It could be anything cultural. They could be like, well, you're not enthusiastic enough and therefore you're... <laughs> yeah, so no, it's wild. It, it's it's true. And it's the same thing with poli uh, politicians. If you don't hate someone enough, then you're there's something wrong with you. If you don't love someone enough, there's something wrong with you. So it's like we're being forced to take sides with this stuff and... Um, from my own perspective, and I'm saying this because maybe it will resonate with certain members of your audience. When I write these books, I started off with an end to upside down thinking. I learned about this information that was so transformative. I wanted to share it with people. And then I wrote the book and I realized this is good, but I was incomplete. There was other stuff. And I feel a responsibility to get the information out there. So then I wrote the second one. And then COVID happened. And I'm like, wow, there's this whole dark side deception. I didn't do enough with this. I did a little bit in the second book. There's a lot more that's needed. So there's a sense of responsibility that keeps coming of, of like wanting to have a positive contribution. And if I just sat still and didn't do anything and were and silent, like that reviewer who might have liked my first four books or something, um, I could have just been silent and said, okay, I'm not going to touch the Great Reset. I'm going to be cautious. I don't think you could do that. This is too important. So I said, okay, I've got to go for it. And I'm going to upset people. I know I'm going to upset, upset people, but I have to do it anyway. Yeah, I. That's how I feel. I feel like there's someone like to me. It's like, what's the alternative? What What's the alternative than then not participating? Yeah. I didn't even know. So last thing, it's the year's twenty thirty. What does the world look like? Mm. I think more divided. I would guess oh. more bifurcated. Really? And maybe there will be progress in terms of those who are more pro freedom, and that 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 parallel society has emerged because I, I'm just really pessimistic about this group that does not seem to want to have a paradigm shift that they're just going to go along with stuff and they're not going to challenge authorities. So maybe we're going to have a little bit of both. Um, but it feels like, and this is to me on a spiritual level, we're breaking through maybe collectively to a different level and it has, there has to be a lot of turmoil. 
So when I studied my second book and end upside down living, it's a lot about the personal development and awakening journey on a spiritual level. And there are themes in what happens because I studied people historically, but also in the modern era. There's this podcast called Buddha at the Gas Pump, where Rick Archer, the host, has interviewed hundreds of people who have gone through spiritual awakenings all over the world. And they might have different life circumstances, but there's a similar arc. And there's something known as a dark night of the soul. I definitely had it. And it's like life get, life starts to punch you really hard. And either you wake up to it and you end up in a, a paradigm shift or you end up in a really bad track and maybe you end up dying or something. You know, you kind of go one way or the other. And I think we're in a dark night of the soul uh, evolutionary step collectively. And it's like we're being confronted with all this dark stuff. And that means there might be even more dark stuff. We're seeing war and, and people dying. We're seeing uprisings against government. It just rings true to me. It's like a, the microcosm is the individual awakening. This is the collective awakening. So by 2030, I would imagine that there's going to be even more, more turmoil as we have this collective dark night of the soul. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, I feel like I had that. I, I, I you, and, and it almost seems like you're at an intersection. You have a choice and you can either go towards the light or the darkness. It's almost like, like whatever the God or a, a, something greater than you is like, gives you every individual person a choice. Yeah. And it's just like, you know what I mean? You have the uh, choice. No, that's, yeah. that's essential what you just said. Cause I'm, I'm feeling more strongly about that than ever that. Yeah. There are dark forces and light forces, but we have to make the choice. We can't just be passive. And we have to exercise the right discernment. Um, that's what it's going to come down to. And, and, every, and it's different timing for everybody, but that's what I think it comes down to. And it's almost like, and the last thing I'll say is like uh, in the book, I think the sovereign individual is a really, really good book. And the authors talked about 97, they're like, Oh, the, um, what we're going into the next era, whatever it is, is going to feel like the Greeks talked about like the gods breaking away from something else. And I feel like that is what is happening. The past three years This is such a massive metaphysical shift that this is something that feels bigger. And I thought it was explained so well. It's, in, it's on like the third page if you ever want to read it. All right. Hmm. But um, where, um, where can people find you? Where can they get your book and uh, anything else you want to plug? Sure. Well, I want to, I want to paraphrase a quote from the Nag Hammadi scriptures one of the, the books called The Nature of the Rulers. Um, the quote goes something like this. The rulers kept human or the rulers threw humanity into a state of confusion and a life of toil so that they would be distracted with the things of the world and not have time to be occupied with the Holy Spirit. Whoa. That's good. That's, that's good. referring to around the time of the Garden of Eden. You know, that's, that was this origin story oh of human God. was created. Then they threw humanity into the state of ignorance effectively. And that, when I read that, I said, that is uh, our society in a nutshell. 100%. Oh, I haven't heard that. That's good. That's yeah. really good. So I like that. That's a spiritual war. We can end on that note. That's a thought-provoking idea, hopefully, for your audience. But uh, my my website is We're my waking name. people up, Mark. I'm telling you. We're okay. waking people up. And I'm, I, I, I know you're pessimistic about the future, and you think that people are going to stay, stay in their slave mentality and stay in the matrix. I truly believe in my heart of hearts you are incorrect. Good. And Good. and 2030, humanity will be more free than ever. And this dystopian great reset bullshit, whatever we want to call it, is going to be the most epic failure on epic proportions. And it's never going to happen or have the opportunity to happen again. This is the final fight to free humanity forever. And I'm telling you, we are going to win because 
Mark, please, please tell me what the alternative is because the answer is nothing. There's no alternative. None. Zero. Nothing. We're not staying in the matrix. It's over. We popped out. Once you popped out, you can't pop back in. Is that true? I'm with you on that. I'm optimistic with with those who are popping out. Yes. My pessimism well, is for a segment that I'm just, I'm not convinced that we can get there, but I love your optimism. One person, it's not just false optimism. I'm not just saying that because I'm like, I hope this happens. Uh-uh. Yeah. No, no. This is what I truly believe. I take a lie detector test, beep, beep, and that's exactly what would happen. I love it. And if I'm wrong, I'll move to Davos. <laughs> well, if you're wrong, you're going to keep doing your path. I'm going to keep doing my path. Like, I'm really optimistic with my individual path and with your path, for example. With those who are in it, I think we're all going to show up. Absolutely. I just don't know what the outcome of that's going to be because it's like it's like, too grand. I don't know. It is so grand. Like even just someone listening to this then goes and then reads your book. And then it, it, you, if we all keep intersecting all these different individualized creators who are willing to tell the truth and there's whether it's writing books, whether it's doing podcasts, whether it's creating documentaries, whether it's movies, it's going to we're creating this this parallel society, which is literally going to intersect here and there with mainstream. And it's they lied so much the past few years. And once you see that lie, it's over. It's done. I think we're seeing the demise of mainstream lies like in real time, which is so crazy to say. It's so big. But the mainstream institutions are all falling apart, and I think there's no way to reverse that. I think there is no way to reverse that, and we literally just have to rebuild differently, you know, more communal. I think we're going more localized, more, you know, family, more like like we got so pulled away from connecting with each other and isolated, and I think that we're going way more like, oh, the local person that gives you your news, the local person that, you know, grows your chickens, and you get food locally instead of from Monsanto or whatever in this one centralized food chain. I think those days are over. I think we reached peak, central, peak centralization, and now we're swinging the pendulum to the opposite side, which is max decentralization. I truly believe that's happening. I think people are seeing that it's necessary, that we don't need to have the centralized power, and it's actually not beneficial. Yeah, and I don't want to have, like, Roundup in my food or my child's food. And, like, it's, now I have a kid, and I think when you have a kid, I think you're like, that person's not going to grow up as, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a slave camp or something. Like it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to yeah. happen, you know? And you got to fight as hard as you can for the pro freedom, pro freedom, pro human, pro positive energy, anti great reset, and that's what this podcast is all about. So, wait, where can people get your book and and uh, and and anywhere else where they can find you, Twitter sure. or, or whatever? Well, Jonathan, thank you again for having me. I enjoyed the conversation. Um, my website is a good place to find me, markgober.com, M-A-R-K-G-O-B-E-R.com. I have five books out; they're all on Amazon in hard copy, Audible. And Kindle, although the Audible for the new book and the Upside Down Reset comes out on February 7th. You can pre-order it, though. And uh, my podcast series, Where Is My Mind? It's a good entry point if you want to get into the spiritual stuff that I was talking about. I just It was the tip of the iceberg. That is a rabbit hole. It is life-changing. I mean, without even knowing about Great Reset, when I started this, it was in 2016, 2017. Totally life-changing. And that is a, a pretty quick way to do it because it's an eight-episode eight series where I interviewed people and we took clips from those interviews and it's a conversation between me and my producer. And I say, oh, well, I talked to Dr. Dean Radin about telepathic communications and the scientific evidence. And there's like a little clip. So it's an easy way to start absorbing it. Where How is my mind? Write a how long does it take you to write a book, by the way? <sighs> Depends on how you define writing. For me, the writing process starts with the research. And then I say much later in the research process, oh, wow, this is a new book. But in terms of the actual typing, it has been very quick for all of them. So the newest book, I started writing it November 4th. It was done in 10 days. I, that's what? all I did. I just go all in when I write it. And then I send it to my publisher, and then we get it edited and do the proofreading. And um, really? it happens fast every single time. It's been similar Do you have other to people to help you with the research? No. Whoa. 
That's amazing. You want to teach me how to become an author? I'll do my, I'll do the sequel. Well, I, I feel like a lot of my life trained me to do that. Uh, working in investment banking, um, I, my client work in Silicon Valley was taking complex technological information and translating it to business and legal information for boards of directors and senior management. So I, that was my career was taking a lot of information, doing it myself and then synthesizing it for people in, in bite That's sizes. That's why you're so good at it. I was trained to do this sort of thing. I just didn't know yeah. I was going to be like, you know, it's so controversial, but yeah. <laughs> it's not, it, I, I just think it's so cool that like, you don't know why you're doing all the things you're doing at certain points in life. And then you end up in a place where when you were younger, you never even thought that was a possibility where you'd end up, but everything kind of molded you to be there at the right time. You know what I mean? It's bizarre, but in yeah, hindsight, I can see how the pieces fit together and right now. I'm just, okay, this is where I am. I'm going to, I seem to have an ability to do this and I'm going to use that to make a contribution. Even if some people don't like me anymore. Yeah, it's the right thing to do. And you know, we're both in the same boat. I have your back. My audience will definitely have Thank your back. Thank you. So I appreciate that. We all, and we all need to, you know, just like the cancel culture, people rush to go someone out. The people that are on our side, the truth and like, you know, willing to, you know, we got to stand up there for each other. So if someone gets attacked and, you know, part of the community, you got to defend them. We got to do the same things. We need to be there for each other. We need to show love. We need to spread positive things. And that, yes. that's what we do. We be there for each other. Just like they were with the cancel stuff. You got to do the opposite and you have to support each other. Don't, don't leave with hate but just defend each other and be there for each other. And then it'll give people more, you know, ability to put their neck out or, or tell the truth and whether share it however they will. And then they touch another person. And before you know it, all society's free. Yeah. Support definitely matters. I mean, not just for me, but for all everyone involved in this, it's because then you, then courage becomes easier. You have, you feel like you've got people behind you and that's been one of them. I'm sure you've had to deal with this too, but it's been a big challenge for me. Like my, my essence or whatever it is knows to go in a certain direction to explore certain things and just expose it. That's like, that's my instinct just to just get as much truth out there as possible and let people make their own decisions, give them all the sources. And then the rational part of my mind comes in of, Oh, I know who's not going to like this. Um, I think the essence starts to take over, but it is assisted and aided by having a sense of support. For sure. And a lot, and, and there's a great quote my friend has, which is, uh, courage, I believe this is something along the lines, but uh, courage is more contagious than fear. And mm. I, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And you see more and more people being courageous and talking about this. And then you realize, oh my God, wow, really? Like 90% of the people were thinking what I was thinking, but no one was talking out loud. Wow, if someone only talked earlier, it's just like, trust me, people are thinking what you're thinking. Just just put it out there. And you know what? If, if you're telling the truth, you're being honest and you're trying to help humanity, what's going to happen? Someone doesn't like the, you probably don't want to hang out with that person anyways. And guess what? They're probably going to like you in a year when they wake up. Right. So it's kind of just everybody's individual journey and you got to respect it. But yeah, um, I'm excited, nervous and excited. I'm definitely <laughs> nervous. But I'm excited. Mark, I appreciate you coming on. Um, just hang on one second. When I end it, it'll go to a hundred percent, but thank you for coming on. Please check him out and um, uh, go to his website, markober.com, get his book and um, appreciate having me, man. Thank you. Thank you again. Awesome.